0: Hello! Welcome to the sixth episode of Head Voice Voices, the alumni podcast from Head Voice School. This episode is a recording for the 19th installment of the Nia Speaker of Color series, featuring Headroy's Class of 2015 alumna and ESPN journalist, Kendra Andrews. It was recorded on February 16th of 2024. As this year's Nia Speaker, Kendra spoke with current high school junior, Sienna H., Director of Enrollment Management, Katharina Weeks, and caught up with Nancy Videlman, the Director of the Center for Community Engagement and her high school history teacher. Kendra shares her experience attending Head voice from kindergarten through 12th grade, and now her work as an ESPN reporter, specifically covering the Golden State Warriors. Please enjoy.
1: My name is Rachel Skiffer and I have the honor of being head Royce's head of school and it is my pleasure to welcome you tonight to the 19th installment of the Nia speaker of color series. It feels like a homecoming. (laughs) Nia is the Swahili word for purpose. And it was indeed with a resounding purpose that NEA was formed over 20 years ago in 2003 by a group of parents who had a vision of supporting Head Royce, not just by creating the speaker series, but also by forming an endowed scholarship to support students of color. And to date, we have raised $300,000. This evening, I have the truly enviable task of introducing you to this year's speaker and the moderator. I will say our speaker has had campus abuzz the last two days. The students have been thrilled, and you will too. Kendra Andrews graduated from Head Royce in 2015 and has had a life of accomplishment since she left our halls. She is a journalist at ESPN covering the NBA and specifically our Golden State Warriors. I was telling Kendra one of the things I love about watching her is she has the enthusiasm of a true Golden State fan. She's joined tonight by Kathrina Weeks, our Director of Enrollment Management, who will be leading tonight's talk. So, please give a round of applause to Kendra and Catherine.
2: Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, you ready to start this conversation? I think so. Okay. <laughs> As we are here on the special day of Nia, and I just want to acknowledge, when Rachel was talking about Abuzz, the campus, I just want to acknowledge the last two days. Just want to thank you for being gracious with your time, spending, really giving of yourself to all of the students because I think in all the different spaces, it's Kendra's here, wow, she's so nice. <laughs> and just really, I don't know, just, It is a homecoming, and so I'm just honored to be here with you today.
3: Thank you. That's very kind.
2: Yeah. And what I want to talk about for this segment, because we have three segments, so this is more about who you are today, and one of the things I want to have a conversation about is we have this term at Hedroys called a lifer, and what that means for anyone in the audience is that you started with us in kindergarten, and then you graduated in 12th grade, and one of the things as I was watching people come in and looking out into the audience, I want to ask you about like, how you keep these deep relationships because as I look out into the audience, I'm a former kindergarten teacher in our lower school and then looking out, I see love. Like You brought so many people that were a part of your life. And so I think before we get into like all the heavy stuff, I think being someone who went all the way through Head Royce How do you think did that was helpful being a student here and building and keeping these deep relationships?
3: Yeah, Yeah. 13 years is a really long time. That's literally half of my life I spent on this campus. And so it's in the moment, maybe it doesn't feel as big and impactful, but I think looking back again, like 13 years, it's hard to not have that influence your life in, in some way. And yeah, there's so many teachers here that I had or were just there. And some of them I've been able to stay in close touch with, whether it be working with my mom or just me personally staying in touch with them and other ones who I may not have seen in years, but it it just, it clicks and it feels very familiar. And I think that's something special about going to Head Royce from kindergarten through 12th grade. When I was driving down Lincoln Avenue this morning, it was like. Am I 16 again <laughs> driving to high school? It was this like little bit of PTSD, a little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of everything. But it, it does, you do just fall right back into mm. everything. And it's definitely a special feeling.
2: Yeah, because I, I feel like watching you in different spaces today, it felt familiar. Yeah. And so one of the things that we said we were going to talk about tonight, too, is just um, different pieces of your identity And we had the pleasure with Julie just having a prior conversation. And like I shared with you that I I too have dyslexia and listening to you, I got to sneak into the middle school assembly. And so what I wanted to maybe ask or have a conversation about dyslexia and just talking about some of the different attributes and how having dyslexia, and I'm saying this in partnership with you like sharpens some really great tools that you have, that you take with you, and that you like use in your current profession today?
3: Unfortunately, I'm still not a good speller, so that part is not great. But I think something that I learned about dyslexia, our brains obviously work differently, but typically we still have something that we're very good at. We just have to figure out how our brains can be lent to that thing. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's always lent to a bit of creativity. When I was a kid, I remember having just the most vivid imagination. I don't know if that's necessarily because I am dyslexic, Mm -hmm. but I think it allowed me to think beyond my world. And I think that is something that I do apply in a sense of storytelling because at the end of the day, journalism is storytelling. That's how I view it. And it's storytelling in fact, Mm -hmm but it's still writing, and writing takes a creative brain to do. I think that's how I view it as something that I apply to my everyday life, although I do still wish I was a better speller and (laughs) didn't. I I told this, I think, to the middle school assembly, but I told my friend who was visiting me the other day, oh, I got this jacket from a store called Groovy Moose, and she was walking down the street and she passed it. She texted me, she goes, Kendra, it's called Moody Goose. What are you talking about? It's like, okay, that makes a lot more sense why I couldn't find it online. So it's still there. It's still there.
2: But we're working on it. Okay, that's great. We all have different, some different tools Oh my gosh. Okay, so again, so we've been saying this. You started in kindergarten, and I'm going to put a little picture up here to help us go through some memories. So I guess looking back at these photos or in those moments, thinking about your time, knowing where you are today, like what do you see like places of inspiration that inspired where you are? Or looking back, what would you want to tell like your kindergarten self there.
3: I definitely don't think that version of myself knew <laughs> what what I was in for or what my life was going to look like. I think she still likes to dress up in her party dresses every chance she gets to. That was always who I was. I'm wearing velvet on picture day and that's who I was every single year kindergarten through 12th grade. But I think what I would tell this version of myself or, and again I spoke to like middle schoolers and i said the same thing a moment from here up until who i am now is just like a piece of the greater puzzle and nothing is definite and i think everything as you're going through school feels so final mm-hmm. and that this is it and nothing is ever beyond this and who i am in this moment dictates who i am for the rest of my life and the, Parts of that are true. It shapes who you are, right? But it's never definitive. And there are definitely still parts of that girl of who I am now. And there are parts of middle school Kendra, who I made a point not to send any photos in of, because we're skipping that phase (laughs)
2: of my life.
3: (laughs) 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 But we still hold a little bit of her inside too, um, to become who I am.
2: (laughs) Oh my gosh. And can I ask a question? So the photo, I guess that's on your left, is that like first grade buddies by chance up here? This one? Yeah, that's
3: my sister in this oh, top one. Okay. Um, okay. I'm thinking that's a classroom here, here. It looks yeah, like a chalkboard of some sort. My mother is saying second, second and, and fourth, fourth grade. grade, okay. Um, and then this was my best friend from kindergarten through a long time, so we were two peas in a pod. <laughs>
2: okay, oh my goodness today their first and fifth grade buddies went on a field trip so i was wondering i was like oh i wonder if that okay and so let's talk about family a little bit too i think as i heard you talk to different students again like how important is family to you if you could share a little bit with yeah. like how important they are to you yeah. and they're here today yeah, i can't look at
3: them when i talk russell get all <laughs> but no i think i am extremely blessed to have such a supportive family. And I think something that was really special about my parents is we talk about dyslexia and I was diagnosed with dyslexia in the third grade and it was early 2000s. And now it's very talked about. There's tons of tools and programs put in place to support all types of learning differences. And that just wasn't the case. And going to Head Royce, it's a competitive school, right? And it's very fast paced Mm -hmm. and it's, this is the curriculum and this is what you do. And I wasn't good at that easy for me and my parents understood that and they did what they could to support me and I think that absolutely shaped the way I went through school because if I got a not okay grade or a lower grade it wasn't you're in trouble or you have it was okay what can we do or we still pass the class so that's all that matters those types of things I shared this earlier today but my parents have instilled this saying to me and my sister of their get-to jobs and have-to jobs. Mm -hmm. And both of my parents have made careers out of get-to jobs. They get to get up in the morning and do something that they turned their passion into. And I think that really let my sister and I know that it's okay if if you want to be a lawyer like my grandparents were, that is excellent. But if you don't, there's so many different ways that you can be successful and make a career and make a life. And I think that really shaped us and then I mean my sister is like my best friend so she is now a mentor to me a co-worker to me a sister a best friend everything so
2: yeah it's very Yay. special okay I'm gonna say shout out to the sisters my bestie my sister yes. is also um, in the audience so those support systems yes. are very important okay so what I want to do, because we have three segments, it's almost like this is your life at Royce, right? We have the where are we now, and in a moment we're going to bring um, someone who is special um, to you during those high school years and really grounded you. And I think I, just wrapping up this section, if you know, we tried to stay away from questions of what do you do, but if we had to ask you something maybe from your lower school or middle school experience and you talked a little bit about it but that you really took with you into this next journey that we're about to go on into the upper school
3: I don't fully remember so much of elementary and middle school but I think one thing that maybe I didn't take with me but again I would tell that version of myself is similar to what I said before but it's just that you will grow into yourself I think at that stage of my life I was still like very insecure I wasn't fully comfortable in my own skin. And I think in high school is when I started to figure out who I was. And again, I think I would tell the younger self, you will you will grow into yourself. And there's pieces of your personality that are really great. And it's going to become grounded in just a little bit of time.
2: Yeah, that's great advice. So I think that's a good segue that we're going to invite one of my colleagues up to the stage. So we're going to have Nancy Feidelman join us for this conversation. Come on up.
4: Thank you. So for those who don't know me, my name is Nancy Feidelman and I've taught at Head Royce a long time. I'm going to actually say the number. Are you ready for the number? It's longer than you've been on this earth. So I've been here for 30 years and I, thank you. And I had the great pleasure of teaching Kendra, not just once, but twice in high school. I was her ninth grade history teacher, I was your ninth grade dean, and I was her senior year history teacher in a really fun course called 1968. But more it was a good course, but more importantly, I got to travel with Kendra because she was very generous in sharing her life and what she was feeling and celebrating and struggling with me for those four years. So I think my first question to you, if we're now talking about the wonderful high school Kendra, is from this perch at age 26, how would you describe your high school self?
3: Good question. I think she was still figuring things out. It's interesting. I think the first two years of high school was a continuation of the middle school Kendra, where she's still not fully comfortable in myself, still trying to navigate everything, and then much thanks to you. I think there was a turning point kind of midway through high school and then the the pieces started to fall into place and stuff. So I think she's figuring it out. <laughs> so if
4: I can make a comment and I know, do we have students out here? I'm just curious. Can you raise your hand if we have students? Okay, so actually this is really good. I have clear memories of Kendra at age 14, 15 and then Kendra at the other end of high school, 17, 18. And what I remember is you did figure stuff out. <laughs> you. you went from trying to figure out how do I navigate this place with dyslexia to, and I shared this with Kendra, she came to me the second semester of her senior year and said, I know what I'm going to do with my life, Ms. Vitalman. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Please tell. And she said, I'm going to go into sports broadcast journalism And I'm going to interview athletes. And I remember thinking, oh, honey, you'd be so good at it. But nobody gets to do that. (laughs) I was wrong. Somebody got to do that. So I think my question for you is, how did you find that grounding and that vision, that confidence in high school?
3: The confidence, I don't know. It may have... Been the appropriate amount of delusion as well that is healthy enough to make you go and do it but i think we in the barrier we have such a rich sports culture and i always think of the teams that i was raised with were the we believe warriors then into steph curry and, and that championship team the giants were winning world series every other year the raiders were still here the a's weren't a mess the 49ers were still good and they still are now but and with my family it was like our family time was watching the game and my grandfather had season tickets to the Warriors and I'd go to all these games and it was so fun to be a part of and somewhere within all that I became obsessive in the sense of I wanted to memorize all these stats and I wanted to read every story that came out about these athletes and I wanted to know them and I wanted to get to know them and I was watching a game with my dad and I think it was shortly after they had just NBC Sports had just hired this woman named Roz who was just the sideline reporter and she looked like me and I was like this dad this is I could they get paid to do that and my dad was like yeah and I was like there we go I figured it out <laughs> he was like same reaction of yeah, yeah. okay sweetie sure worst sounds yeah. good for me <laughs> From there, I think I made that my personality pretty much. I was like, this is going to be it. And we had our senior projects shortly after this revelation. And will you tell folks a little bit about the senior project? Because this is pretty remarkable. (laughs) So I'll say also simultaneously in another world up in Portland, my sister, who's two years older than me, was on her own path of figuring out she so happened to want to be a sports reporter as well and she had been doing some work in portland and i told her i want my senior project to be around sports journalism or in sports marketing or something like that and i met with people from the giants who i had been put in contact with and all this stuff and my sister said let me i have a mentor let me see if she has a colleague in the bay area that would let you do something with her and she put me in contact with this wonderful woman named Janie who works for the Associated Press and it's very cool now because I cover games alongside her after shadowing her at Giants games and football camps and Warriors games but and that was my first taste it's funny I remember it was I think she took me to an A's game and she had me write a game recap and I had never written an article before. I think it was in like essay format. Like I didn't, she was like, what's your nut graph? I'm like, Ex- "Like what the what? Like what? <laughs> I don't know, what does that mean? I didn't know what a lead was. I didn't know anything about it. But being in that environment, I was like "No, like this is it. Like this has to be it, it's so fun. And I have to say the twinkle that I see in your <laughs> eye as you're remembering the senior project
4: yeah. and describing it, it was there back in 2015. Yeah. And it's there now.
3: I will say my parents favorite story of the whole senior project thing was we had a group of students come and present their senior projects to an assembly and to the parents and stuff and the person who went before me had shadowed a doctor to do colonoscopies and every single adult in the room was sitting there like I remember that, That I have not thought about that colonoscopy presentation until now. And then I came up and I said, for my senior project, I covered the giants and everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That is really funny. That is in my brain.
4: (laughs) My next question for you, high school, as folks have said, this is a hard high school, right? This is a really rigorous high school. And you navigated it beautifully with the support of your parents, and you already talked about how important parental attitudes are in helping kids feel grounded and successful. What else about this place do you think gave you something that you could take into yeah. the next phase? You were very helpful. I, I'm not me. looking for that, but thank <laughs> that you so were. much.
3: I think. I, and I was talking to someone about this earlier today, when I think about, and I had actually forgotten about it, as hard as it was and as isolated or alone as I felt sometimes and, like, how, frankly, stupid I felt at times or just, I couldn't do it, at the end of the day, the school really did put things in place to help me succeed, and I remember I I never took calculus at Hedroyce. I took a different math course because they... Wanted me to pass and they wanted me to do well or I took chemistry at a private tutoring center instead of taking it here And I forgot about those things until coming back here and reflecting on Everything and I think that's it's a really special Thing to be able to have a school that is so competitive and results driven, but I think because they're Results driven they want good results. They want to they don't want students to fail, and I think at some points, I didn't feel that way, right. and then when you now, however many years later, you look back at it, you're like, wait, no, that they did not have to do that right. at all. That is right. extremely helpful. And I think
4: the school was trying to be human-centered, yeah. and they saw your full humanity, yeah. and as you're saying, dyslexia often comes with deep gifts, and they were apparent very early on. So, do we have time for one more question? Are you sure? Okay. So, there is an anecdote about you that I think I actually, and will share it or not share it, that I remembered from when you were in ninth grade, and it involved a conversation with your mom, and it informed my parenting of my two sons. And I think many parents think of success as looking a certain way successes, high GPA, going to the most elite institution, and having many extra currics. And I've learned how you like to spend your time after school, yeah. especially in ninth grade, to decompress after going through your many classes. Are yeah. you willing to share yeah. what you did? Because I think about this, and I think about, yeah. And I think about how in a meeting that I had, because I was a dean, I met with parents all the time, your mom said, this is what Kendra does after school, and I fully endorse it because it's what she needs to do to be her best
3: self. What was it that you did after school? So when I was a kid, I can't even remember when my dad put up this rope swing on one of the trees at our house, and I think for my entire life, I would just go and sit on the swing, and like for hours, just put headphones in, and, again, just get lost in whatever world I was in. And I think I did that, yeah, from elementary school up until high school, just sit there with my headphones in and just go back and forth. And I thought that
4: was beautiful because as a mom sometimes I want to say, and I do have a child sitting in this audience, and please don't say anything out loud. (laughs) I sometimes want to say, what are you doing lost in your own world? You have homework to do or you have... Extra to pursue, yeah. and I think the takeaway has been let kids do what they need to do, yeah. and it all works out.
3: I even think, and I mean, I'm saying this now, and I'm like, ah, I really should do that more, as I think now as an adult, yeah. I don't take time to decompress, and I think that, or I do in, in very different ways though. But it's we need to like get you a swing for your <laughs> apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I really should. <laughs> There's a tree outside; it might work. <laughs> But I think it's it was beneficial and it probably would be beneficial to do something like that now. Maybe I'll come over after this and have a swing. Sit on the swing. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> no.
4: And I just wanna say, as Katrina said, I'm not her only teacher no. here tonight, but no. I'm the lucky one who gets to come up here. But I believe I see a fourth grade teacher and a kindergarten teacher and a middle school advisor and i'm sure there are other people yeah. are you
3: feeling pretty loved right now yes it's been i have to say my head is very <laughs> getting it's getting bigger but it's also it's it is special i think this whole and i was talking about it with like my parents and stuff of because of up, how up and down my time was here it feels very special to be someone invited back because i don't think that girl she was just happy to get her diploma. I don't think she was ever planning on <laughs> being here in someone that people are like, oh my gosh, she's coming back. So I think that girl would be absolutely shocked to know that this is happening right now. Yeah. Thank you. This has been wonderful.
2: Yeah, thank you, Nancy. So let's just like keep that going in yeah. terms of the different ways, and I am i guess I'm bringing it back a little bit to dyslexia as well too, just because one could imagine, and I'll speak from the eye perspective, our brains are working really hard throughout the day. And at the end of the day, the way that you might possibly recharge yourself, or I've been thinking about you the last two days about <laughs> like how you've talked to so many students, yeah. and you were here from pretty much all day, and then this evening. So what are some ways that... You know, you mentioned the swing when you were, but what are some things that you like to do just to decompress? It's
3: funny. I told the Xbox class that I wouldn't talk to anyone for the next two days after this. (laughs) I'm like, I'll be in my bubble. It's funny. A lot of people keep telling me I need to get a hobby and it's so true. I really do. And my sister, her decompression when she was a teenager and stuff was horseback riding and she just got back into it in the last year or so. And it's done wonders for her. And so I'm like, I really need, I need Tarif to find something like that. But I think for me, I, even though I don't have a swing at my apartment, putting headphones in and just listening to music and doing things, I think is still something I always have music playing, taking a walk. If I'm going to the gym, if I'm cleaning, if I'm Mm. doing dishes, like whatever it is, I think that's something that I still very much rely on to get out of my head. But honestly, finding a full decompression hobby is, something I'm working on so if okay. anyone has recommendation, <laughs> I need something to do.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna, I, maybe this photo might, I don't know if this was something that you used to do oh, to yes. decom. Um. It was. Okay.
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I want to talk about fade. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is one of your quotes. Do you want to maybe read it so we can hear it in your voice? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um,
3: fade is great because it gives you a place in school to express yourself without using words with other people that share that passion.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and so before we move into the next segment, I was thinking about or just like what I've learned about you on this journey and I feel like we've had some running conversations for the last two months almost. So I learned that relationships are really important to you and that you have deep connections as evidenced by everyone that's in this office. I've heard you say, like in numerous conversations, to you, like communication is really important, and like the work that you put into making sure that you're understood and that you understand the person that you're spending time with. And one of the things that I want to ask, and I know this is like a deep question, but I always, when I meet people, I ask, I like to ask them about their legacy. So as you're meeting people and you're doing this work and just watching the beautiful arc that you had and then just watching you with some of the students, do you ever think about what your your impact that you want to have?
3: I think I start to when students, and not just high school headwear students, but college students or whoever asks for advice or asks mm. for mentorship, It's v- very strange for me because I still feel I'm like I don't know what do I have advice to give I'm still asking people for advice and the way I think about it and look at it is I've had so many incredible mentors who I met when I was 16 or 15 and it's really cool because some of them are my coworkers now some of them were technically competitors but I work alongside them and I a look at their careers and their Hall of Fame journalists and some of the best writers I've ever read and I aspire to be like them in that way and then I mm-hmm. also look at the way that they've brought the people behind them up and so I think for my legacy is I to be someone who can hopefully just help bring the younger people up behind me knowing how impactful those mm-hmm. who were ahead of me are in my life I think that would be like a great honor, honestly. But I think that's as far as I yeah. look ahead busy-wise, but yeah, just being someone that people look up to, it's a weird and new reality for me, mm. and one that I'm still learning how to navigate, okay. but one that I hope I can
2: be good at. The, the next person that we're about to bring up, I just watching you today, like with her and with other students, I think you're great at it. <laughs> and so at this time, I would love to bring Sienna Come and join us.
3: <laughs> Doesn't she have the best hair ever seen? <laughs> You're actually who's me. Yeah. No, it's insane.
2: Gosh. So Sienna, just in case so we can include the audience, you just wanna introduce yourself. Hi
5: everybody, I'm Sienna. I'm a junior, I'm an boss student, and I've had the pleasure of getting to know Kendra for the past two days.
2: So before you begin, I'm going to, I think I'm gonna play a little video clip Alright.
3: For more on the first preseason game, we are joined by our Warriors reporter Kendra Andrews who's in Japan. And Kendra, of all the live shots that we have done, this one has to be the coolest. And I was watching some of the highlights. What was the scene like in Tokyo? What was the environment like inside the Saitama Super Arena? Yeah, Maliko, there were about 20,000 fans inside that Super Arena and they were lined up outside. Four hours before tip-off, but really stuck out to me was during the pre-game warm-ups. Fans were reaching over the railing above the tunnel, trying to get players to sign jerseys, take photos, just trying to say hi to them. They were oohing and aahing the entire time Steph was going through his now famous warm-up, and I'm sure as you can imagine, when Rui Hachimura took the court, they absolutely lost it, welcoming him back home. Absolutely.
5: That was great. What's your favorite NBA stadium that you've gone to?
3: Mm. It's funny. I can always been someone who can list what I don't like more than what I do. But I will say, I think favorite NBA stadiums, honestly, it's Oklahoma City has a very good NBA stadium. Memphis has a very good NBA stadium. You know what? Sacramento. If you guys haven't driven to the Golden One Center in Sacramento, you absolutely should. And it's close by, it's actually accessible and stuff, but it is incredible. I'm gonna have to take a day trip. Yeah, I'll take you up on that one. (laughs) Absolutely. All
5: right. What's the greatest opportunity that has come out of pursuing journalism for you so far?
3: I think there are a couple different ways to look at it. It was two different types of opportunities. One, I look at the opportunity to tell people's stories, I think that is like a really great responsibility. To have someone trust me with a piece of their life and to relay that piece of their life to the entire world, that is very special. There are two stories that kind of stick out to me. I wrote a story on Gary Payton II, who is a Warriors player who also has dyslexia, and so writing his journey was really special. And then this season, actually, in a much heavier and sadder way, one of the Warriors' assistant coaches recently passed away and writing about his life and legacy and having people trust me to tell me what he meant to them and his impact is, it's a really special opportunity that not many people have. And then you have incredible opportunities like going to Japan for four days and doing a live shot at 4am with my sister back in Los Angeles are incredible experiences that I never thought would actually be in the cards for me. So I think those are two very different, incredible opportunities that I've gotten to see out.
5: And it's amazing that you have your sister there and that you have somebody who's there to support you through
3: all of it. Yeah, I think that's... You always want a friend in work or in life, someone that you can complain to or celebrate with or celebrate like those little wins that you're like, someone else is going to think this is so annoying, but oh my God, I killed that. Can we hype me up a little bit or (laughs) the opposite way of I just, I need to be super neurotic and freak out about this and having that be your sister who knows you better than anyone else is definitely, I'm very lucky and that's another unique opportunity that I have been able to have. Yeah,
5: it's amazing that you get to have like your keeper, your hype woman, all of that, your co worker exactly. all in one. Exactly. What are some of the stressors that come with being a black woman in sports? And it's amazing that you have your sister there to be yeah. able to help you through all of those stressors. And whenever you're like struggling with something that happens through work, you have somebody who's going through the same things. Yeah. How does she help you through that?
3: We definitely lean on each other, whether it's like the small things or big things. And there are a lot of big things that aren't seen and and that we share with each other. And I think that's really helpful. The way I look, I was having a conversation with someone earlier and the way I look at being a woman and a woman of color in this industry is I am, I guess it also goes back to having mentors bring me up is I'm so lucky that there are so many women and people of color before me that had, they had to run through the wall and they had to break down that door. And I am reaping the benefits of things that I can't, even imagine that they had to go through to get a seat at the table. And at the same time, there there are still things that you work through. I think earning respect from people is always going to be a little bit trickier, Pro- making sure people understand that you deserve to be in the room. I think for me also, an added wrinkle has, which I didn't expect has been my age and being a young black woman. I think the age thing is sometimes overlooked, but if you're older, there's something very esteemed about you, and you have wisdom, and if you're young, you haven't done the legwork yet. And so I think all of that kind of comes into play, and you're trying to navigate all those things, and I think the most difficult thing that, again, when I look back, think back to the things that the people before me ran through, what's different for us is we're in this age of insane social media, and being a young black woman in the age of Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, now all of those negative things that they were saying about Doris Burke and about Robin Roberts and about all these other women, they're right in my lap. And one thing that my sister and I really try and hold each other accountable for is not looking at that stuff. Because those are the things that really become like the psychological ickiness, I'll say
5: it's so special that you guys get to share this and that you guys are able to hold each other accountable to make sure that you guys are keeping each other in a good headspace. That's amazing. Okay, so like I said earlier, I am a junior and I'm applying to colleges soon, so you know I have to ask a couple college questions.
3: Okay,
5: I'm ready. I know you're a Gonzaga alum and I just got my college list and it's on there.
3: (laughs) She only added it because I told her yesterday. Oh yeah.
5: (laughs) (laughs) My influence right here. How did you decide to go to Gonzaga and what was your experience like there?
3: As in junior year they give you a college counselor here at Head Royce and they sit you down in a little office and ask for your must-haves and your what do you want in a college? And I think the only thing that I knew is I wanted a small school. I didn't want 300 person lecture hall cuz I knew that I would not do well in that type of environment. I wanted to stay on the west side of the country to be close enough to home, but I didn't really want to be at home. I did want a little bit of a change of scenery. And I wanted a good sports program. And I remember my college counselor asking me, she said, okay, you want a small school and you want a good sports program. Most small schools don't have these incredible football programs. That's Pac-12. That's RIP Pac-12, but that's Big Ten, and those are state schools and stuff. Are you okay not having, would you be happy with a good basketball team? And I was like, honestly, I love basketball more than I like football or any other sport. So yeah, that's fine. And Gonzaga was on the list, and as they still do, I'm told, in October, my dad and I went on a trip. We went and looked at three or four schools, and I think both of us, when we toured Gonzaga, I don't think we said it to each other, but I definitely got the little, the warm and fuzzies being on campus, and it just instantly became, I think this is my number one school, but I'm not gonna tell anyone. I'm superstitious like that, but it just felt right. And I think looking back, it was the right choice for me. I'm not going to live in Spokane, Washington ever again. <laughs> A little rural for my liking, but I will say the opportunities that I got at Gonzaga have, I don't think I would be where I am if I didn't, I don't know, the way I look at my career path is if you start at where I am now and you weave it all the way back, it all comes down to the the first opportunity I got at Gonzaga. Actually, I guess the senior project, but the woman I shadowed at my senior project ended up, she had gone to Washington State, which was 90 minutes from Gonzaga, and she knew all these people in Spokane and could point me in the right direction, but it was an incredible experience, and... I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I got there, both academically, both friends that I've made for my entire life, and also the opportunity to cover such a prestigious basketball program. Just because I went to school there, that's the access that I had
5: to them. Yeah, I'm super excited to go on my college visits and experience my first collegiate butterflies, because that sounds amazing. (laughs) It's a good feeling. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to ask you a little bit more Head Royce-based questions, because I'm, I still go here, and I yeah, know there's I think, plenty of students in the audience, but what lessons from Head Royce do you continue to use in your career today? Yeah.
3: I think some of the biggest things that I learned at Head Royce, much thanks to Nancy Fidelman and other teachers, is I learned self-advocacy at Head Royce, and that is still something that I use today, asking questions, asking for clarification, asking for help, those things I think are a little bit undervalued. And I think in a workspace, we don't always think about self-advocacy because it's just about, we have to do what we have to do and we're told what to do from bosses and that's it. And I think at some points, you do have to stand up for yourself a little bit. And I also think that like problem solving and navigating trickier situations. So I guess those kind of go hand in hand to a certain extent, but I think I just learned how to, if something isn't working for me, if Okay, what can I do to work around it or work through it? I think those tools were first planted at me or in me at Hedroyce, and it, then they were developed more at Gonzaga and then more in the real world. But I think it definitely started here.
5: Yeah, that's amazing. I think I'm also looking into journalism for college, and I'm in the Xbox class, and you spoke with me earlier there. And I love how XBOZ can plant those seeds in me. If you guys don't know what XBOZ is, it's expository writing, which is journalism. And yeah, it's a super awesome that you were able to talk to us today. And I'm glad that you were able to plant your own seeds in the XL <laughs> students. Thank you. Okay, another career-based question. Do you think you'd ever switch away from sports journalism and maybe switch to working at Vogue or doing interviews at the Met Gala or something yeah. like that?
3: Sounds fun. It does. And I'm <laughs> not going to say no, but I don't know. And it's funny because I was a person who always once I figured things out I was like I'm, I'm gonna make a plan and this is the plan and I am going to graduate college I'm gonna cover this and then hopefully in two years I'll do this and then in two years I'm gonna do that and nothing happened the way I planned it to happen and so what I've learned is I'm somewhat okay sitting in an unknown of what my future looks like, but I've also learned through my career and how everything's happened, I don't want to close myself off for opportunities. And so I can sit here now and think, that's a silly question, because Vogue is never going to reach out to me. Why would they do that? But maybe they do, and maybe it's the perfect time for a change of pace, and I think, yeah, like, the Met Gala, that sounds (laughs) awesome, let's go to the Met Gala. Um, So maybe, we'll see. Yeah, Yeah. I'll see you at the Met if I do. (laughs) I'd love to be your plus one.
5: (laughs) Circling back to cool events that you get to go to as a journalist, what's the coolest event you've got to go to as a reporter?
3: Japan is up there again, and the whole, like, yeah, that was incredible. I want to go back very much. So that experience was really cool because I never thought and when I set out to be a sports reporter, I didn't think that international travel, like I didn't think, oh, international travel is could be a part of the job or that is an opportunity that's going to arise. So I think that was really cool. And then also the Warriors championship run in 2022, I think was the most fun I've ever had. It was incredibly special. And being an Oakland girl, I think that added to the specialness of it but it's you're witnessing a group of people who are accomplishing the absolute highest height that they can get to in in their job and to see grown men just it's just like it's a very special feeling and if you've ever been to a playoff basketball game you know that there's just a different energy there and so to see it at that level of winning an actual championship and all the storylines that were within it with Steph winning the finals mvp and his performance in boston and all these things it was really a really cool moment to be a part of
5: yeah that's amazing that you get to build those relationships with the players yeah. <laughs> yesterday when we were with the upper school you shared how important building authentic relationships was with the players yeah. i mean with the players is to your work for one, which player are you closest with? Yeah. And two, can you share some of those insights with the audience?
3: I think the player that I'm closest with is probably Gary Payton II. I think he is a really great human being and is a funny guy and is always willing to chat and joke around and stuff. I, relationships in this industry are absolutely everything. and We talked a little b- bit about it in a couple different ways in, in the X-Files class today of part of building relationships is so they're comfortable around you. And I was told it's not about them liking you, it's about them respecting you. And so building that relationship so that they respect you is very important. It doesn't hurt if they also like you as a person, that's always good. But that's how you get A, really good stories and anecdotes, and they're willing to share your story with you. And then also when it comes to the harder parts of the job, when it comes to saying negative things, or when it comes to Breaking news or when it comes to something that isn't as good those relationships really come into play and you can look at them and say I Listen, I know I I wrote this thing that you don't look great in I get but because we have that relationship again You can respect and understand why I had to write what I wrote and things like that And then of course there's like the news breaking side of it and how you build those relationships to get that information so I think it's all very circular and the way I said it in the X-Files class and we were talking about on the record versus off the record is if you burn your relationships, if you burn those bridges, you have nothing in this industry. If you burn bridges and you're the social pariah when you walk in, you have, you can't do your job. And so it's just about making sure that they respect you enough to when you do have to say something bad, they understand it and they're not going to hold it against you. You
5: spoke a lot about moments that are on the path and like how sometimes you just, you have to try to plan everything out, but it doesn't go exactly accordingly. What's the moment that wasn't on the path for you, but turned out to be something amazing?
3: Honestly, I think the biggest shift in my path so far was when I came back to the Bay Area. I got hired by NBC Sports and. In- End of twenty twenty, and I started at the start of twenty twenty one, and up until then, I had spent the year and a half prior in Denver covering the Denver Nuggets for a written only publication, and I had decided, yeah, I want, I, I don't think I want to be in Denver forever, but my plan was to be there for a couple years, and I'd, I'd only been there for a year, and. When NBC reached out and we were having conversations about this job opportunity, I like I think I cried every day for a week because I was so like this isn't supposed to be happening now. What is? This isn't part of the plan. Is for two years and then I will find the next step. And I'm not supposed to do NBC. I'm not doing TV yet. I've never done TV, and I remember I had like pros and cons list of each job and well which what's going to develop me better as a writer. And then I just took a second and was like. that's actually a pretty incredible opportunity like I have to do it and I think that was the first big decision that I really had ever had to make for myself because when I was graduating college the perfect job opportunity landed in my lap and I was like that was an obvious choice but this was the first non-obvious choice that I had to make but I'm very glad that I made the choice that I did (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad too Stepping off the beaten
5: road is always a little scary, it but is. it always tends to come out it does. well. It does. Okay, I think we're gonna open the floor to yeah. some Q and A. Yeah, is I there anybody who CNN. has a question? Yeah.
0: All right, cool. what's, what's your name? My yeah. name is Wendell Smith. My wife, uh, Crystal Smith, was one of the members that start with Kim and two other young ladies that started Nia 19, 20 years ago. Amazing. Yeah. You may, may or may not know this, but your mother was extensively involved in Nia in the things that were going on, making contacts, yeah. etc. So again, thank you very much. Yeah. Two, two questions. Yeah. Who was one of the first individuals you had a one-on-one in yeah. conversation with? Yeah. And who do you, who would you like to speak to in the future yeah. as a one-on-one yeah. interview?
3: So the first ever one-on-one interview I ever had, actually during my senior project, I'll start there, then go professionally, was Dave Roberts. Yeah, I think he's, coaching the Padres now. Anyway, that's who my first conversation was with. And I remember that interview very distinctly because I was very nervous, but also my mentor, Janie, she wanted me to do an interview not about baseball. And she said, Dave, had, he went through a journey of cancer. And I want you to interview him about his experience with cancer. And I'm 17 years old. I've never met this man. And I have to sit down and ask him about dealing with what are you trying to know but I think it taught me very abruptly of those deeper stories and and having that conversation with him was really incredible and insightful and I think that kind of refueled my interest in yes the, the sports side of things but also understanding like all of these people in sports that we idolize and have been watching for years have stuff and those are those human interest things I think are what really makes sports interesting. Cause everyone's so different. Um, first one-on-one interview professionally was someone with the Denver Nuggets, but I don't know if I remember the exact player. Yeah. Michael Porter Jr. was someone I interviewed very early. It was his second year in the league and his first year he missed because he had back surgery and he was, gearing up to make his big debut. And there was a lot of pressure and questions about what his career was going to look like. And so that was one of the first ones that I did during training camp. As for someone I, I would like to interview in the future, I think it goes back to the first thing of, I would love to interview someone that, like an athlete or someone who I'm sure has just incredible So I always, like, I think Serena Williams would be an incredible interview. I think that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would be an incredible interview. If Bill Russell was still alive, I would have loved to have a conversation with him. Just people who have seen some stuff and have been through some stuff, and I can only imagine the perspectives of life that they have to share. So I think that those are some names of, if I ever got to, we'll see.
1: I was just wondering, how do you prep before a game? Yeah. And does that also include the competition, and, and not just uh, the warriors?
3: Yeah: So I think for game prep, it does include the competition too. I spend a lot of time. We have very grateful that ESPN, we have an incredible stats team, and their entire job is to give us numbers to make it look like we really know what's going on. and they put together like a pre-game packet something. And so I always look at those to see, okay, what is important here? Is there anything up for play, up for grabs? I, I, I don't like watch film or anything like that. I think for me, prep is just, again, looking at some numbers and then getting to the arena. And I spend pretty much the three hours before the game, just talking to people. And that can be, that's always the coach, both coaches, head, uh, home coach is 105 minutes before tip off. And then the away coach is an hour and a half before tip-off. So you talk with both coaches, the locker room opens up, you go and you talk to athletes. I look to see what front office executives are on the court, what agents are on the court. And honestly, most of my pregame is spent doing that because those conversations, even if you don't do anything with them in the, that moment, pocket it, can lead to something else. I, told, I think I told the X-Ball's class this of I asked Draymond Green a question in a press conference, and he gave an answer, and I was like, oh, I want to ask Jonathan Kaminga about that. So I went, I had a conversation with Kaminga, and I after that conversation, I texted my editor. I was like, this, I have the next story that we're going to do, just based off that conversation. So then that leads to other prep work that has to be done, but that's how I spend my time leading up to the game.
2: Hi. Earlier, I have a Royce graduate, my daughter next to me, I heard you earlier say that you read sports columnists, and I was wondering if you have a favorite female sports columnist, and if so, who and why?
3: Yes.
1: (laughs) So there's not a lot of female journalists who are on TV, especially women. So I'm just curious, I'm a basketball lover too, but I watch sports in general. Who are the ones that you idolize? Or who have you been able to just, hey, give me a little pointers or just some feedback?
3: For the columnist, I always admired Candace Buckner, and she um, works for the Washington Post. She used to be the Washington Wizards beat writer, and at that time, she was the only black woman like devoted to an NBA beat, and that's how I first discovered her work, was through that, and then she became a columnist at the Washington Post, and I was lucky enough to intern at the Post and learn from her and, and work alongside her, and so she is definitely someone who I still read and always appreciate her perspective on what's happening, not just in sports, but the world. And she does a really great job of, obviously those worlds are already connected, but putting them in stories really eloquently. For women in in, in sports broadcasting, it's interesting because there are actually quite a few. And however, most of them are relegated to a sideline or studio host position. We don't see women on play-by-play and we don't see them in the analyst seat. And actually, the just two days ago, Allie Clifton, who works in Los Angeles, became the first ever woman to do a play-by-play for a Los Angeles Lakers game. Women on TV that I think I look up to, Doris Burke is one of the best in the business and her perspective on everything is just absolutely incredible. She actually did a little commercial thing with my sister and in it Malika was talking about how one of the best pieces of advice Doris told her was like the people whose opinions matter are the ones that can walk up to you and they can text you, they can call you, they can tell you face-to-face over coffee or dinner. They're not the people that have never met you, will never meet you, who have have no idea who you actually are. And so for both her perspective on that and then also just the way that she does her job is someone who I will always look up to. And then, so she's not in sports, but like Robin Roberts to me is just absolutely incredible and her story is out of this world. Um, so those are two women that I definitely look up to.
0: Good evening, um, my name is Lois and I'm friends with many of the parents and children who went here years ago. But I just want to give a shout out for to my friend Kim and all the women who put together the NEA program. It just brings me to tears. We have some work to do, and thank you for leading by example.
2: I think we have time for one more question.
4: Bringing it back, Kendra, to the Head Royce community,
2: how many AP
1: classes did you ever take? Zero.
2: Oh my gosh. Sienna, I just want to thank you for everything that so you've done thank today. Thank you guys
5: so much for having me. Kendra, thank you for coming. I've had so much fun with you the past two days. I definitely thank look up to you a lot, thank and you. I love
3: spending time with thank you. Thank you. You are great, and you're going to do good things. Thank you so to- much. And you will go to Gonzaga.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Only if you promise to keep in touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's, I don't even know where to begin. I feel like... Again, I'm just going to go back to the people that are in this space that are here, just celebrating you and supporting you, and the love. Like you can just look out into the audience on behalf of Head Royce. I just want to thank you for all of the ways that like you continue to pour into the school, whether it's the Adulting 101 class, the, the last two days, or just when people reach out to you. I I hadn't had the pleasure of meeting you yet and I just feel like you've just been so approachable and just so thoughtful and again just want to thank you for the the love that you poured into the community while you were here but really just the last two days because it's been a buzz around campus and I just I I don't want to take that for granted. Again if we could just give a round of applause. (laughs) I guess with that, we are coming to a conclusion of this 19th uh, installment. And I do want to just, again, shout out the women that are here with us today that were a part of creating Nia, if you haven't gotten to meet them. If if you were a parent that were a part of the generative process and you were in this space today, we want to acknowledge you as well. Yes. And again, thank you to all of you for coming out tonight. I have one one more opportunity to connect with Hedrice. So currently, speaking about basketball, okay. our varsity basketball team is having their um, round number two game. is It's I think it started at seven. So if you are here and you're ready for um, more Hedrice spirit, we want to invite you to that. But more seriously, I just want to, as a member um, of the um, committee for NIA. If you if you haven't had an opportunity yet, I would be remiss um, to um, to give to that endowed fund. Um, it really as one of the privileges I have as the director of enrollment is to always um, name a student who is the recipient of that fund, and um, it's such a joy and a privilege um, to have the fund that you all started and. I never knew when I was the kindergarten teacher that I was gonna have the opportunity to be a part of that. Again, we're gonna say thank you to our fabulous speaker. And wish everyone a safe journey home and thank you so much. And we hope to
0: see you next year. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Head Royce Voices. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes featuring Head Royce faculty, staff students, and of course, alumni. We are also excited to share an update that the film adaptation of alumna Kate Marchand's book, Float, which you heard about in episode four of this podcast series, has been released and is available in theaters, digital, and on demand. Until next time.